Today from the Global Lane, Israel's war against Hamas and threats of a widening war from Iran and Turkey. Uh, maybe they think that we are vulnerable, but they are mistaken. We are strong, we are determined, and we will win. On the home front, the FBI director warns of historic anti-Semitism. Anti-Jewish hate rises on U.S. college campuses and around the world. In the responsibility for the safety and the well-being of the Jewish communities is on the authorities in all the countries of the world. A Chinese immigrant who lived under Mao during the Cultural Revolution warns of more political and cultural upheaval. Big-scale protest, I, I just think that is inevitable. And Israel's Prime Minister quotes Ecclesiastes 3.8. There is a time for peace and a time for war. But also a time for love and a time for hate. Where's the love? I knew you was a Jew. <laughs> you people are the devil. And it's all right here on the Global Lane. As the IDF proceeds with phase two of its war in Gaza, Hamas releases a video of hostages pleading for a prisoner exchange. Meanwhile, pro-Hamas protests around the world turn violent in some cases and more anti-Semitic. Joining us to provide some insights is a former Israeli ambassador to the UN, Israel Knesset member Danny Danon. Ambassador Danon, what do you make of this latest hostage video released by Hamas? Well, we know that Hamas will use a psychological warfare against us. And unfortunately, they have more than 230 hostages, including 30 babies. So we expect to see more footage. You know, they have no boundaries. We are determined to release the hostages. And a few hours ago, we actually published that one of them was rescued by the IDF. It was very emotional for us to see her coming home to her family. And we, and we pray that, you know, we'll be able to release all the hostages and bring them back home. Well, that's a very difficult task, we know. And we don't see the full-scale ground war invasion of Gaza that everyone expected. It seems like a slow counterpunch uh, that's going on here. And Prime Minister Netanyahu says it's systematic progress. So what's the IDF strategy at this point? So at the end of the day, we have no choice. We have to defeat Hamas. <laughs> we cannot leave them intact <clears throat> in Gaza. So uh, the question how we do that, uh, our goal is to minimize the casualties to our troops and to the civilians in Gaza. Hamas's goals are exactly the opposite. They want to see more casualties to our forces and to the Palestinians in Gaza. So we take it very slowly. We, we operate uh, very carefully, but we are determined. We are determined to find them and to kill them. We cannot forget what they did to us only three weeks ago. Iranian President Raisi says Israel has crossed the red lines in Gaza. That may force everyone to take action. So what do you make of this threat, unleashing Hezbollah rockets on Israel's north, uh, direct Iranian military involvement? What do you think? Uh, I would advise uh, Raisi to look very carefully uh, at uh, where he stays now and to ask himself if he wants uh, us to change the situation there. We are not playing around. We have no intention to start another uh, cycle with Hezbollah or with Iran. But if they will actually test our resilience, they will meet the might of the IDF. We can reach every capital in the Middle East and the Hezbollah. They will destroy Lebanon if they will start a war with Israel. And it isn't only Iran. Turkey President Erdogan says Israel is a pawn of the Western powers. It would last only three days without Western support. He suggests Turkey may enter into the conflict, saying his country can, quote, 
come at any night unexpectedly. So what is your response to Erdogan? Well, you know, you see all the bad guys ganging against Israel. Uh, maybe they think that we are vulnerable, but they are mistaken. We are strong, we are determined, and we will win. So with all due respect to all those uh, leaders, so-called leaders, I would advise them to look first at what's happening in their countries before they think about uh, attacking Israel. And an international criminal court prosecutor visited the Rafah crossing investigating possible war crimes. How objective do you expect that investigation to be? I have no expectations from uh, those organizations, neither from the UN. You know, we saw them passing resolutions uh, calling for a ceasefire, not even condemning the atrocities. You know, the, the picture that I saw in the last few weeks, you know, the last time we saw such atrocities was during the Holocaust. So we will not see the idly by after they massacred us, after they raped our girls and kidnapped our babies. We will defend ourselves. The days when Jews were massacred and nobody was there to defend themselves are over. We have the capability, we have the determination, and we will protect the Jewish people here. Yes, even former Secretary of State uh, Hillary Clinton said that was the worst thing that could happen would be a ceasefire because Hamas would just rearm themselves. People who are calling for a ceasefire now do not understand Hamas. That is not possible. It would be such a gift to Hamas because they would spend whatever time there was a ceasefire in effect rebuilding their uh, armaments, you know, creating stronger positions to be able to fend off uh, an eventual um, assault by the Israelis. Ambassador Danon, stay right where you are. Up next, we'll talk about global pro-Hamas protests and anti-Semitism on full display at U.S. college campuses. Former Israeli ambassador to the United Nations, member of the Knesset, Danny Danone, is here to discuss rising global anti-Semitism in the wake of Israel's war against Hamas. Ambassador Danone, first I want to ask you about pro-Hamas protests around the world, especially the recent one in London. Thousands turned out. Did the response surprise you? Your thoughts? We know that anti-Semitism is on the rise. We have seen the numbers. But now when Israel is under attack, you see those anti-Semites coming against us. You know, I haven't seen them condemning the atrocities against Israel, and, and they come against us now in the streets of London. You saw what happened in Russia, where a plane that came from Israel landed in one of the airports in southern Russia, and a, and a riot erupted, and, and those uh, hooligans, barbaric hooligans, tried to actually take over the plane. So we have seen an uh, increase in the cases of violence against Jews, against Israelis, and I think the authorities have to be very strong about that. And we think the responsibility for the safety and the well-being of the Jewish communities is on the authorities in all the countries of the world. Well, you mentioned that mob that flooded the airport there in Dagestan at the terminal and then uh, rushed the plane and I guess even tried to get into some hotel rooms or something. Uh, so do you think governments are doing enough around the world to protect Jews? Absolutely not. You know, they, they, they speak very highly, uh, but they don't take action. They have to enforce the legislation, enforce the law, 
and not to allow it to happen. You know, uh, in Russia, imagine you had a demonstration against the war in Ukraine. Uh, I'm sure it would have taken them 10 minutes uh, to deal with that uh, demonstration, but it was a, a, a mob chasing Jews in the airport in, and in the hotels, like you mentioned, it took them hours to deploy forces. Well, it seems like social media is playing a big part in spreading this propaganda. So what astonishes me is the anti-Semitism right here on American college campuses in the United States. There seems to be a lack of moral clarity and violence even broke out at Tulane University of all places. And in New York at Cooper Union College, we saw Jewish students there confined to the library as protesters shouted anti-Semitic slogans, banged on the glass windows. Uh, I'm sure you're concerned for the safety of Jewish college students uh, on campuses right here in the U.S. Uh, we are, and, and I get uh, many requests and uh, testimonials about attacks against Jewish students uh, worldwide, including the U.S., unfortunately. And I expect the university to show zero tolerance and not to allow it and, and to take action against those who who actually attack Jews on campus. Uh, unfortunately, I haven't seen real leadership coming from the leadership of the universities. They are being wishy-washy about it. We expect to see leadership, to see concrete action against those violent attackers. So what can our viewers do? You know that they're committed to praying for Israel. What specifically should they pray for? What can they do? So I, I think that they should continue praying for our strengths. You know, the, the Bible tells us that we have to, to fight evil. And uh, here again, we have to stand strong and fight evil. And we are united and determined to do it. And we know that we are fighting also the fight of our brothers and sisters in the U.S. and different countries all around the world. Because these evil forces, they don't want to see us here, but they also don't want to see uh, our friends uh, alive. So we are in the front line and we will prevail. Okay, we'll keep praying. Ambassador Danny Danone, be reassured that Israel, our best friend in the Middle East, has the support of our viewers and our nation. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. If you think pro-Hamas anti-Israel rallies are only protesters demonstrating support for Palestinian rights, you may want to think again. More may be afoot than opposition to the Gaza war. Well, joining us to explain is C. Van Fleet, author of the new book, Mao's America, A Survivor's Warning. See, you know Mao's communist tactics, strategies, and formulas quite well, and you lived under them. You believe his fingerprints are all over the American Cultural Revolution. So how about these pro-Hamas, anti-Semitic protests we're seeing on U.S. college campuses? Well, I think if you pay close attention, they are the same people who... Uh, are pro-BMM, and they are the same people who went out and uh, uh, celebrate uh, uh, transgender ideology, and now they are pro-terrorism. Uh, What's the underlying um, ideology that tied all this together? That is Marxist ideology based on oppressors and oppressed which was what we were taught when I was in China during the Cultural Revolution. And so the world is divided into two, always good and the bad. The good ones are the oppressed. The bad ones are the oppressors. And who decides who is oppressor and who is oppressed? The government, the party. So that is an easy way for young people to 
just make decisions. They don't even have to do any thinking. Anything that we do to the oppressor are justified. And that include uh, killing and raping and kidnapping and uh, um, torturing. That's exactly what happened during the Cultural Revolution when the kids turned against the teachers because the teachers, according to the party, were the bad guys. Uh, those people who identify as transgender, they are really the victim. They're the good guys. So if you see this, it is the same thing, even though look like they are uh, having um, protesting against different things. It's the same thing. It's the same cause. But I will tell Americans, the real, real, the ultimate oppressor thereafter is the United States. So that's the real, their real goal. Their real goal is dismantle and overthrow America. People have grown tired of the word woke and wokeism to describe this uh, cultural influence in America. But in the chapter called Two Cultural Revolutions, you write that the Chinese word for woke is Jue Wu. Tell us what that means, why woke is significant. Yeah, woke is not something natural. You ha it has to be taught. And you have this consciousness. This Jue really means consciousness. You, it has to be uh, cultivated and raised, and so raise your consciousness. That's what, uh, that's what we're taught um, in, in, during the Cultural Revolution, everybody, not just school kids. So you get the right uh, thoughts, and you take the right action when you're completely immersed into this ideology, which is Marxist. You contend the tragic death of George Floyd was exploited by BLM, whose founders were admitted Marxists. You write the death of Floyd was their Vietnam War. If there had been no George Floyd, they would have invented one. Explain. And you know what? They are looking for the next one, getting ready for 2024. They will find another one. Because their goal, their goal is to really, really dismantle United States of America. To them, that is capitalism. That is really the ultimate oppressor. And you believe the overturning of Roe versus Wade is the new Vietnam War for progressives. Already, it seems to be a big issue in the upcoming elections. Yeah. You believe it's more about uh, their desire yes. to protect women's reproductive rights or what? Is abortion being used to advance this leftist agenda? It's any cause, any cause, and that they can use to mobilize and make to mobilize the masses in, in that, that's a uh, uh, mouse words and to make them angry and any cause and uh, right now right now it's abortion and uh, so uh, to them to the uh, democrats that's number one issue but wait wait until 2024 they're going to find another um a floyd they're going to absolutely do another of um, big scale protest and uh, um, demonstration. And I, I just think that is inevitable. We're gonna see that happen. Because they're looking for, they're looking for opportunities. They never cease to look for opportunities, any excuses they can find. We saw the Canadian government and some state governments here in the US like California shut down churches during the pandemic. And many Christians complained they felt like they were in China because this is what the communists do to unregistered churches there. So how likely do you think it is that we may see more anti-Christian actions in the days ahead 
and why Christians? Yeah, because uh, Christianity is the real threat to Marxism. The only thing I, as my, uh, as my understanding goes, the real, real threat to communism and Marxism is Christianity. That's why they think or they regard Christianity their number one enemy. They, they, the reason they could do all this indoctrination is because they have been undermining Christianity for decades. And now, not only that, Christianity has been weakened. Many, many young people do not go to church. They do not believe in anything. But at the same time, so many churches have been infiltrated. They become woke churches. You go around, you will see that so many churches has pro-BMM uh, and uh, pro transgender ideology, and now probably pro-Hamas flags or sign outside the church. The church has been compromised. That is the goal. When you take a religion away and people do not have their moral campus, and that's why they go by the ideology of Marxism, called oppressors versus oppressed. Okay, the book is Mao's America, A Survivor's Warning. C. Van Fleet, thank you for sharing your time and insights. Thank you so much for having me. Ceasefire? Should Israel pause its war against Hamas? Here's what Israeli Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu had to say about that. Just as the United States would not agree to a ceasefire after the bombing of Pearl Harbor or after the terrorist attack of 9-11, Israel will not agree to a cessation of hostilities with Hamas after the horrific attacks of October 7th. Folks, this war has just begun, and Israel shouldn't be expected to pause its effort as it moves into place for battle. Remember, there are 230 hostages, including Americans, that have yet to be rescued. The only way there should be a ceasefire is if Hamas agrees to release the hostages. I grieve for the thousands who've lost their lives on both sides and pray there will not be thousands more. But the only way that can happen is if Hamas, not Israel, surrenders. Would FDR have stopped the fighting against Japan before the Battle of Midway? Would Eisenhower have paused the Normandy invasion for a ceasefire with the Nazis? Why are some world leaders and others demanding this of Israel? Even former U.S. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton rejected a ceasefire, saying it would be a gift to Hamas because they would use the pause in fighting to rearm themselves and create stronger positions. Prime Minister Netanyahu quoted the Bible this week during his national address. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible says that there is a time for peace and a time for war. This is a time for war, a war for our common future. Today we draw a line between the forces of civilization and the forces of barbarism. It is a time for everyone to decide where they stand. Israel will stand against the forces of barbarism until victory. A time for peace and a time for war. Netanyahu took that Bible verse from Ecclesiastes 3, which begins by saying there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. And in verse 8, just before a time for peace and a time for war, it says there's a time to love and a time to hate. The problem is there isn't much love here, only hate and anti-Semitism. Jonathan Tobin, editor and chief of the Jewish News Syndicate, wrote a column this week contending that people should, quote, stop pretending that the Palestine protests are about human rights. If they were, they'd be protesting Hamas's terrorism. 
Tobin believes hatred for the Jews as at the heart of the anti-Israel, anti-Semitic protests. I agree with Tobin, but I'd take it one step further. Folks, what's going on here is hatred for God. The Jewish people are God's chosen, his elect, the people of the covenant he made with Abraham passed down to Isaac, Jacob, and you and me through the blood and sacrifice of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Deep down, Jew hatred is God and Christian hatred, hatred for the people of Yahweh. FBI Director Christopher Wray says anti-Semitism in the U.S. has now reached a historical level. It was on full display this week in Washington, D.C., when one motorist blocked a bicycle lane, endangering the safety of a bicyclist and her child. All I'm asking you to do is move out of the bike lane. I don't care what you're asking. I don't got to comply with you. you no, of course not. But that's just the law. So go around. It's not safe. I don't want to go into the country. Your life is not my concern. I understand that. I am, in fact. Uh, <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew you was a Jew. <laughs> you people are the devil. Now we're going. I knew it. You are the devil. Now we're going. Hey, bro. Get the camera, bro. She is trash. This is why you're doing this, because you think you're tight. It looks to me like the devil controlled the mind and behavior of this man, not the bicyclist who was, yes, entitled by the traffic law of the District of Columbia to pass through on a bicycle lane without being hindered by an obstructionist motorist. This woman's faith had no relevance in this traffic dispute. Why was that even an issue? And whatever happened to love your neighbor? Neither person was willing to give an inch. You see, selfish pride breeds selfish pride and bigotry, doesn't it? I think if it were me, I would have waited for the traffic to clear, gone around the car, and continued on my way after smiling and telling the stubborn motorist to have a good day. Folks, what we need are cooler heads, focusing on love for our neighbor despite our differences. Yes, there is a time for peace and a time for war, but also a time for love instead of hate. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channels, YouTube, iTunes, Rumble, and now Xfinity Channel 1086 in Houston. And until next time, be blessed.